Welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Chris Donovan. Chris is the ultimate relauncher. He spent 25 years working for New England Telephone, retired at 54, and pursued his passion for designing shoes. He's now the founder of Chris Donovan Design, his own designer footwear company, and he has been called the next Manolo Blahnik. We found out about his relaunch when he was featured in an article in the Boston Globe, and he has the most remarkable story, and we are delighted to have him here with us today to talk about it. Chris, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Well, we're thrilled to have you on. Um, Let's start at the beginning uh, with your graduation from Assumption College in Religious Studies, leading to your job at New England Telephone. I noticed it was at age 29 because I was I was looking um, at your at the article on your profile. Um, What happened between those two events? Well, when I first started uh, uh, going to Assumption, um, the cost uh, was. I was paying for it myself and I ran out of money. So I had to uh, find a way I was going to pay for the rest of my education. So I knew the phone company had tuition reimbursement. So I was able to work the phone company and get my college. So I went back to college at night and finished my degree. Got it. Okay. That, that explains it. So thank you for clarifying that. And, and that's so instructive for our audience too. Uh, and then you went on and you worked in telephone repair and installation for 25 years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on on the side and when and how your fascination with footwear began? Well, if the fascination with footwear actually started in high school. Um, it was I saw one of the girls come into class wearing the highest platforms. Um, it was it was a parochial school, so they had to wear these really awful uniforms. <laughs> yeah. They they expressed themselves through their hair and their shoes, mm-hmm. and the, these platforms were amazing. They were just like a piece of art, like a piece of sculpture. And the way it changed her attitude and the way she walked was so impressive. And I started sketching then in my notebooks, and I've, as soon as I started sketching, I started thinking about well, if I can do this, what else can be done with a shoe? And then that's when the sketching just continued, like for the next 35 years. Um, when I went, when I ended up, uh, it never seemed like a feasible job. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought of it that way. I came from a blue collar background. Um, the idea was to go get a good job and be secure and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got into the phone company, um, I immediately, I started out as a telephone operator. Um, I worked all nights. It was really awful. Mm. Uh, a tough, tough job. And then I just started looking for other jobs in the phone company. So I moved around until I found the telephone repair job. And that's when I was there for like 25 years. So did you have all, did you save all of these drawings? Like, did you have all these notebooks put aside somewhere with, with, all of these creations for over that multi-decade period? Um, I don't, unfortunately, because I didn't take it seriously. I didn't value 
uh, what I was doing. And then I started running into friends who knew I did this. Very few people saw what I did. And uh, they were like, why are you throwing those away? You have to value these. These are important. And I kind of started realizing that, you know, this is important. This is a part of me. And, and was there, so it sounds like that happened gradually over time. Now, when did it all crystallize in your mind that you thought at some point I'm going to take this leap and see whether I can turn this into something more than, you know, that, that, than drawings um, in a notebook or on a piece of paper? Well, my, my husband at the time, um, my husband was telling me, he goes, he'd see me do these all the time and say, you really have to do something with this. And so at first it was like, I was trying to dip my toe into it to figure out what would be possible. What could I do with this? And, um, I started thinking about, uh, I started taking classes at night at, uh, the Rhode Island school of design. I actually transferred my job, uh, down to Providence so I could go at night to school there. And, uh, and I started taking classes. They didn't have anything to do with shoes, but I needed to do something creative. And then, um, I got diagnosed with prostate cancer and, they, uh, it was caught very, very early. Uh, it was, uh, I've been, uh, I've been clean ever since and it changed the way I thought. I suddenly realized that, you know, I have a limited time on this. Mm -hmm. We all do. And it's like, if I have this thing I have to do, then I better do it. And that kind of made me realize I've got to get this done. And that's when I went, full speed into trying to figure out how I was going to bring my designs to life. Wow. All right. So let's, let's just step back for a second. So first you said you up and relocated yourself to Rhode Island. You moved your job there so you could take those classes at the Rhode Island School of Design, which I think is also called RISD. So I'll call it RISD. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, that that's a milestone moment in itself where you're recognizing I'm going to acknowledge and honor and value this creative side of what I'm doing. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm, I'm going to do more than what I've been doing before. So um, so what happened there? Did you just all of a sudden think Rizzy is the place and I'm going to sign up and I, I'm going to like, how did how did that happen? Well, I. Winter, I've always loved RISD, and I've seen some of the work that comes out of it, but it was, it's really expensive during the daytime. Mm. But I knew that their night courses were actually reasonable. Um, so I figured I'd take color theory and a bunch of other design courses just to learn a little bit about design because I, had taken, I hadn't taken anything at mm-hmm. that point. And then all of a sudden, a fashion course at night uh, came up. And I'm like, this is the closest thing I'm going to get to shoes. So I, I immediately signed up for it. Um, it was funny because I went to the class. I was really excited. I got there first. I'm sitting in the back of the class. And all these 20-year-olds were walking in. And, you know, I'm bearded and heavy. And I look completely different than everybody else. And the teacher walked in and she looked at me and she goes, she goes, are you here for photography? That's next door. 
Yeah. So I said, no, I'm here for fashion. Yeah. She, she laughed a little bit. She goes, okay. And uh, she says, we're going to be doing seasons. You know, you pick a season like, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter, and you'll build a collection through sketching. And I raised my hand. I go, can I do accessories? And she goes, you're thinking of like women's shoes or something? And I go, yeah. So um, she goes, okay, yeah, you do women's shoes for the semester. And so one, and I don't think she took me seriously until she started mm-hmm. seeing me draw. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's when she said, oh, okay, okay. And and the other students in the class, like what was the interaction with them? Did they kind of leave you alone or were they curious about you and, and the work that you were producing? They were, oh, yeah, they were fascinated by what, all my drawings. Um, I don't think they knew what to make of me when I first walked in, but after a couple, you know, a couple classes, they knew I was very serious about what I was doing. Wow. That, that's incredible. Uh, so, okay. So you're taking these classes at RISD. You've moved, you, you've moved your life there essentially. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you had this health scare and it sort of changes your perspective on uh, like the sense of urgency about, um, about, uh, you know, developing the, this whole new, uh, professional, well, passion and hopefully a professional passion. So, what happened then? I mean, to make the leap from uh, the first, the big leap to take the classes, but then this next leap to change this into an actual business and and to be producing shoes for for people to wear that that that's just a huge, huge leap. So how did that happen, especially without having any background in how to build a business or how to manage a fashion business? Maybe take us through some of some some of the steps there. Okay, um, the first thing that happened, it, it's it, for some reason you know I'm not a big believer of stars, you know, aligning and everything happening, but it, yeah. it's that's what it seemed like happened because right after that, um, I I got noticed that I was able for early retirement. Um, Financially, that wasn't the greatest idea, but I, I was I at least retire. Uh, and then I found a two-day class in New York City, how to start your own shoe line with a very well-known shoe designer out of Europe. And I said, this is it. I got to take this and I want to go down there, show him my designs. And he's the first professional I've ever talked to and see what he thinks. Mm. Uh, I was kind of going down for a critique. You know, have them tell me what I need to improve in, you know, what I can do to move forward. So um, I went down, took the course of after the first day of uh, basically what was all drawing. Uh, he pulled me aside and he says, you have to do this. He goes, um, you have to get a master's in Europe. Wow. And he goes, if you need, uh, uh, I will write you a letter to get into any school that you want. Wow. Did you recognize how unusual this was at the time? Or did you think that, wow, this just happened to people regularly who took this class? No, I, I knew because there were there were 20 people in the class. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had pulled me aside at the end of the class telling me this is what I had to wow. do. And it was it was uh it was it it was validating and exciting, but the thought was also terrifying mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Okay. So, um, so can you say who this consultant was and what this class was? Oh, yes. Um, it was Aki Chocolate. Um, he's a Finnish designer that uh, designs out of London. And uh, he also teaches all over the world. Uh, and um, he was the one who, uh, it was a class, basically two-day class, how to start your own shoe course. Wow. How to Yeah, shoe wine. Okay, so he tells you you have to go to Europe and you have to study with the masters. So what happens then? (laughs) It's like (laughs) unbelievable. I'm sure your head was spinning. It it was. It was. And I figured figured I'd go back and, you know, tell my husband, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, they want me to go and to Europe and all this other stuff. And I figured, you know, oh, we can't do that. We can't afford it. We can't. You know, just up upend everything, yeah. and uh, the actually the very first thing he said was, he goes, "We'll sell the house if we have to." Wow, that I mean, you know, it's so important the role of your husband. Um, just initially, how he was talking to you about valuing what you were creating way, way a long, like a long time ago, and then being totally behind you with this idea that. Yeah, yeah, it, we're, it's somehow it's going to happen. Like even if we have to sell the house, that I yeah. really have to acknowledge um, the significance and importance of 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 his support. Oh, oh, yeah, it's ex- extremely important, and it's the whole reason why I was able to do this was you know having his support behind me and be willing to take chances. Yeah, uh, because I he's always understood. Uh, the power of passion, you know, and how important it is to have something in your life that you're passionate about. And he wanted me to experience it. And he says, you, you have to do this. Um, we didn't have to sell the house. Um, but, um, but it, it, you know, it was, it was pretty scary, especially when I put my retirement papers in. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you, so then you form, you officially retire. I don't know if you'd already re- officially retired, but you officially retired. And then you, do you actually get up and move to Europe to do this course? Do you both move? Do you move yourself? And did you like rent an apartment? Like, how did you do it? Um, I, I rented an apartment. Um, the, uh, you know, I found a real estate agent who was able to, oh, actually, I didn't go through the real estate agent. I ended up going uh, online and founding a uh, find an apartment uh, between the two campuses in Italy. Um, I went over, he, he, he'd come over and visit. I'd go home a couple times. So we were able to see each other. Uh, but we, um, it was, yeah, I ended up getting an apartment for nine months there. Okay. So you go for nine months to study with this master. And is the reason that you were able to do that is because you got the, the personal recommendation by, um, is it Aki Chocolate, the uh, person who taught your course, who basically like validated you and said you that they should take you in? Like, is that the kind of um, recommendation that you need in order to have access to the master's who work in Italy? Like, I, I have no idea how how you get to work with a master shoe well, creator. It's actually, uh, it's a master's program. Uh, and it was at the Polymoda Fashion Institute. It's one of the top top 10 fashion schools in the world. Ah, okay. And to get in there, um, now Aki, that was one of the schools that Aki taught at. I see. And he, 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 
but I still had to go through the interview process. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the director of the school had to call me. Um, he had already seen all my, my sketches. And uh, we had a long conversation on the phone. And at the end of it, he said, you know, you're accepted. Wow. Okay. So how many other people are in this program? And what are, are again, are, are you an outlier in terms of age and background? Um, there were, I think, in total 16 um, other students. And uh, I was, I think I was the oldest student they ever had. And I was also, I think I was older than all the students all the teachers, mm-hmm. except for one of the master shoemakers. So, and I don't, a lot of people there, um, they were from all around the world because it was a universal program. So people from Turkey, France, Korea, Taiwan, China, all those countries were there uh, learning. And I, I don't think a lot of people bought into why I was there. Even the teachers, they weren't sure why I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So by the, so, when you you learn from these master shoemakers and do you you're learning the craft actually of creating like a you know designer high, highest quality shoe is that correct i mean are are you learning anything about the business side of it too or are you learning purely the craft basically what you're learning is uh you're learning the craft you don't be, you really can't become a master craftsman without years and years of experience mm-hmm. but designer you have to know how all the different shoes are built mm. so you have to the requirements are you have to do uh, a collection of five shoes mm-hmm. with accessories um you have to do a movie a book and then be proficient in making all the different styles of shoes from pump loafer brogue oxford uh, and once you've proven that, then that's how you uh, then you present your collection at the end of the year. Okay. Wow. All right. So you go through that, you present your collection, you graduate from that program, and then what happens after that? Uh, nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, when I was leaving school, uh, when I presented my collection, I ended up uh, graduating at the top of my class, mm-hmm. and I opened the final show for graduation, which was a big honor. And all the teachers that doubted me were like, wow, we can't believe your stuff is really amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was like, well, thank you. And uh, I asked one of my teachers, I go, so what do I do when I get home? What do I do? Do I go look for a job as a designer for a company? Um, What's what's out there for me? And he's basically said, yeah, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. He goes, you're you're too he goes, you can't be, you can't be an intern. You, uh, a design company is probably not going to hire someone of your age. Um, so I was at a loss when I first got back. I did apply to a bunch of different companies, uh, handbag companies, uh, briefcase companies that are in my area, but no one ever spoke to me. And uh, I, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs in my basement, stop making shoes and doing more designs and something will come up. Wow. So are you fundamentally an optimist 
uh, an optimistic person because to to at that point to to have that attitude and proceed proceed ahead it feels like you have to have some kind of inner fortitude can you just tell us a little bit about that part of your personality um actually going into this i i, I don't want to say i was an optimist because i don't mm-hmm. think i was um i had uh again all the support from steve uh my husband that made it more possible and more believable. And as I started facing all the different obstacles that you go through in this process, and there were, there were a Mm -hmm. lot of them. Um, And as you get through each one, you realize, Oh, I can do this. And through the whole process, I think I just got stronger and stronger and knew that I was going to be able to face anything they threw at me. Wow. Okay. So you go into your basement and you start making shoes. Yeah. And and then what happens after that? So I was on the internet and I saw a contest to have Tim Gunn critique your fashion portfolio and uh, from Project Runway. So I'm like, oh, I'll do this. They were looking for clothing, but I didn't have anything to lose. So I ended up sending... My portfolio of shoes. Wait, can down. I can, wait? Let me just interrupt you for a second. Was this the AARP Project Runway contest where they were specifically looking for people who were over fifty, or was this general general Project Runway? This this was the general Project Runway. It was it was the actual contest. It was I didn't realize until afterwards, but it was the money donated for that was from AARP. Ah, uh, it was not. Actually, I was probably one of the oldest participants in it. Oh, interesting. So it was like an age-diverse con- – you didn't have to be over 50 to apply. They they simply provided some of the funding for it. Yeah, that was all it was. Okay. And it was, it. It, was, it, was a, it was a project runway uh, to speak with Tim and have him critique what you, what you do. Okay. So the day the contest closed, I got a phone call saying I was one of three finalists. Wow. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So right then, I kind of had a feeling I had won it. Wow. That that just, I mean, that must have been an amazing phone call. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. It was a real big, bright spot uh, in a period that I was kind of, I didn't know where, which direction I was heading. Mm-hmm. So it was, it came at a great time. Okay. So from that, uh, I, they started, you know, you know, send us more stuff, send us more stuff. And they had never said that it was going to be on TV or anything like that. I, I thought it was just going to be, you know, a photo op to meet him and talk to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turned into something actually quite, quite bigger than what I expected. Uh, and they did. I went down to New York for the day and hung out with Tim Gunn in a studio. Wow. And. We went through all our shoes. Uh, he talked to me. He gave me some great advice. Um, and uh, it was an awesome day. Uh, and it, they played it on Project One Way. I think it was season 16 uh, that they – it was It was between uh, – it was when the – it wasn't with all the other students. Uh, it was in between. So it was almost kind of like an ad where they'd show me and Tim going over my shoes. 
Wow. Well, I know that you have on your website, and we'll talk about this later, a clip of, of the interaction with Tim Gunn on TV. And, and it is, it's wonderful to watch. So we can talk about that later. But I, I did look at it. And I just can't imagine being you in, in that interaction and being filmed and having all that input from Tim Gunn and have it be on TV as part of Project Runway. The, the whole thing was, it's just, it's just, Incredible. Um, all right. So at, so you get all this input from Tim Gunn. You're on national TV. Uh, what happens after that? Um, after that, a, uh, AARP, who had sponsored the contest, noticed I was of, of their group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, said, they said, would you mind if we did a little documentary on mm. you? And, you know, and I'm like, no, no. Of course I said <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. So they sent they sent a crew, uh, a film crew, up from New York. They did uh, they did a little documentary. It was like a five to six minute documentary yeah. uh, called the AARP, the Shoemaker. Uh, they did a beautiful job. Uh, they told my story amazingly well. Uh, and when they posted it, I think in total. With Facebook and YouTube, it got over 5 million views. Wow. Incredible. So it's got to be still up there. I don't think I've seen that yet, and I'm going to watch it. And we'll put a link to that um, in the notes to um, today's conversation, just for so our listeners know to look for that. It, it's really worth – It's yeah, it's really worth watching because it, it's uh, – it's a beautiful little story. Yeah, I know it's me, but yeah, <laughs> they, they do a beautiful job. You might need a tissue. I don't know. Yeah, I bet. Um, all right, so that's now five million people have now seen this. So, do you start to get inquiries? Are, are, are like this inbound um, interest start to happen after all of this national exposure? Uh, yes, they, a lot of people wanted to like wanted custom shoes. Um, I actually had a couple museums inquire. Um, so I realized, you know, the only way I'm going to get my shoes out there was if I start my own line. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how to do that, mm-hmm. but I figured, you know what, I I think this is the only way, and that's when I started looking into how to get my designs manufactured. Okay, so can you just give us a timeline check at this point? So how much time had gone by since you started those initial courses at RISD up to this point that we're talking about? Oh, okay. RISD, let's see. I was 50 when I was diagnosed, 61 now, so that was 10. So I'm going to say it was probably 12 years ago when I started taking night classes at RISD. Mm -hmm. Um, School was 2013. Um, Project Runway and the AARP documentary was at the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016. Okay. And that's when I started uh, researching how to go about getting my shoes manufactured in Italy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 12 years ago was 2008, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's when you started at RISD roughly. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Very helpful. Um, you know, people always think that, uh, or sometimes assume that these the timeline is much faster um, on on these you know kinds of journeys, and there's usually a number of years involved. So it's it's really important to for for people to understand um, that this is a process and um, it happens over a longer term. Now, every so often there's an overnight, like a true overnight success, but they say most overnight successes take at least 10 to 15 years, right? <laughs> right. And a lot of, you know, there were a lot of uh, broke spots where uh, I got a lot of attention and, you know, those were great, but there was a lot of work before most of that. Right. And so tell us then, um, like, so you're starting, you're, you know, you have to develop your own line. How do you figure out how to do it? There's, though, I figured that there might be a traditional way of doing mm -hmm. it. And there, there, I, uh, I called my teachers, I called um, all sorts of people. And there really is no menu on how to go about doing this, um, especially internationally. And so, I started uh, looking for factories. I started looking for someone who might be interested in developing my ideas into shoes. And some of my designs are a bit challenging. Um, mm -hmm. They're different. And the it was, I got no after no. Uh, most of the time they wouldn't respond. Um, there, was, there was a long period of time that nobody would even talk to me about it because I was new. Um, you know, a factory is a business and they want someone to come in and order 20,000 pairs, you know, especially if you have a big name, you know, it's right. You can get in, but when you're, when you're fresh out of college or you're a new designer and you're doing the, the most minimal of orders, um, it's, it can be more of a nuisance for them because all the machines for every new collection, all the machines have to be recalculated. Mm -hmm. um, everything has to be redone for each line they're doing. So, yeah. So it's kind of more of a, they generally don't want to take new designers. So someone at some point took you on. How did, how did that happen? After a bunch of missteps, uh, there was one factory I, got involved with, which didn't work out at all. Um, and then I online, I found a agent in Italy, uh, in Jevino, Italy, uh, that places a, a, a rise, a studio arise. And it's two people who used to be teachers at a very big design school in Milan. And they realized that there were a lot of designers who weren't able to get their shoes manufactured. And they both had a lot of experience with production management. So they decided to mm -hmm. start a consulting agency to help new brands get a foothold in the manufacturing world. And that was, as soon as I saw that, it was like, oh my God, that's right up my alley. I mean, this these, these they sound great. So... I sent them an email, and uh, the first time they didn't respond, I sent them another email. Uh, he said no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. And the um, and then one day I get he was at a trade show in Milan called Mecum. It's the largest 
footwear trade show in the world. It's huge. And he was showing people what I did from my Instagram account. And everybody at the trade hmm. show said, you got, you got to take this guy on. You really do. And so he ended up calling me and saying, listen, you know, we want to, we want to look into this and see if we can work together. So I went over to Italy for a mm-hmm. week and we, we, we had a, like a, a boot camp uh, about manufacturing and working with them. And uh, they decided to take me on. Wow. Like literally a boot camp <laughs> when talking about yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never hear myself say these things. <laughs> um, so is this the design consultant, Richard Sicardi? It is. It is. He was the uh, he was the, uh, one of the owners of Studio Arise. Okay, because I just want to interject at this point. You know, there were so many reasons when we read that Boston Globe article that we wanted to speak with you. But one of them was this quote from Richard Sicardi, and and I'm just going to read it. He said about you. He said, I was thinking this must be the usual pretentious young guy in school with lots of creativity, but no idea about what making shoes means. But Donovan's maturity and devotion to understanding the manufacturing process made him stand out. And I, I just want to highlight that for our audience, because with so many, many of us who are listening, and I include myself, um, you know, we uh, relaunchers tend to be older and we have a maturity. And part of what we bring, part of part of the assets that we bring um, to an employer or in your case uh, as an entrepreneur um, is our maturity uh, and our life experience and uh our enthusiasm, but from the perspective of having many life experiences. And I just wanted to know if you could comment on that uh, from your perspective. Like, do you feel like your age and your life experience really helped you? Um, And does it somehow um, inspire or influence the designs you create? It's interesting. Yeah, my maturity has helped me through the whole process um, in de- actually through school, through finding manufacturing uh, and in even starting the business, the, my ego wouldn't never got in the way. Um, I know that I don't know a lot of things. And mm-hmm. I will ask anybody for information that I think can help me. Um, I'm not shy about that at all. Um, I will approach, I, I get, I have mentors at uh, the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center. Um, I've worked, I've gone to so many seminars and talked to so many different people from SCORE uh, that have helped me through this whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my maturity has helped me with this. Um, it really, I, it really has. It's kept me, it's kept me much calmer. Um I understand that working with a manufacturer in Italy is going to be completely different than working with a manufacturer in the United States. Uh, there's a whole diff, different business uh, attitude, and you've got to learn that, and I'm open to it. And I think being mature helps that a lot. So once you had this relationship with Richard Sicardi, is that when things started to change, and, and did you then start to develop on the business side or what, how, how did all, how did you get your line up and running? 
um, in the in the very beginning, um, even I think it was even before Richard, I was working with a mentor at the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center, mm-hmm. and this is one of those places that you can go in and go in with just an idea, and they will help you realize whether it's feasible or not. They help you with business plans, with fine help to find financing. They give you so much information. You do all the work, but they can direct you in many different ways. Uh, if they don't have the answer, they find somebody who does. They helped me with, uh, they connected me with a person who was able to help me with import export stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they helped me g- incorporate myself. They've helped me all along the way. And even through the manufacturing process, they've, they've worked with me. Uh, I see them once every two weeks. Just so uh, they've, when it, things got really hard, they were there to talk me down and say, "No, you'll get through this." You know, wow. so that's through that whole process. Uh, it's been learning all the way. Uh, it hasn't been easy, but it's definitely been worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's an incredible resource, the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center, and also you mentioned Score. Uh, and so we'll we'll include some references to that. Uh, also in the notes. Uh, so t- can you tell us about your shoe line and what it's called and maybe describe a few of their shoe of the shoes in it and, and what inspired them? The um, actually the very first line is called reach for the stars. And it's kind of like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this is a big dream. And I, I named all the shoes after celestial bodies and the they started the designs themselves started a while ago. I was uh, one of my most avant-garde designs that you see on my website is a very very unusual heel, and I was watching uh, a friend who did lathe work. Um, uh, you know, he was making beautiful vases. He was making all sorts of uh, pepper mills. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was doing some really really interesting things, and I'm like. You know, I could really exploit his talent, and I said, you know, give me the give me the limitations uh, that you have as far as lathe, and I will come back with you with some designs and see if you mm. can make them for me. And so he did. So he made some he, my original heels. He made for me, and uh, from that is where this whole collection kind of started. The um, I went to, we had to go, go to a heel factory to have them develop the heel so it was actually walkable and not made of wood. Uh, but from there, the I developed all the uppers, which I made very sculptural. And uh, I made a wide range of flats and loafers and medium heels and all the way to the avant-garde designs. Wow. And can you just give us a little insight into your creative process? Like, do you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and and think like with an idea that just came in your head, or are you recreating some of these drawings that you didn't save, you know, from years before, but you sort of remember? Like, how does how does that creative process work for you? Um, I always work with shapes. Um, you know, lots of times they're inspired from things I see around me. They're not generally items that you normally may find beautiful. But I like taking shapes and objects that 
then I morph in my head. Uh, one of the scenes from the AARP Shoemaker is me in a local salvage yard, and I'm going through all sorts of porcelain sinks and all sorts of stuff. And it shows me designing a heel from the pedestal from one of the mm. sinks and how it morphed. It doesn't look anything like it did in the beginning, but it morphs. And I do that all the time in my head. Um, I take inspiration from anything I see and then turn it into a drawing. And I do. I do wake up at three o'clock in the morning sometimes, you know, if you're dreaming of these shapes and <laughs> all this other Right. All the time. Well, you're talking about the inspiration you get for your shoes. You yourself are so inspiring uh, to us, uh, to I know to our audience, most amazing relaunch story. And I just, I keep thinking back to um, what would have happened if you didn't have that pivotal conversation uh, with your husband that led you to, you know, take what you were doing seriously and, and make it into something real and start taking those classes. Do you ever think about that? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine, uh, God, the phone company seems like so long ago. It was like a different mm -hmm. life. Uh, I, and if it wasn't for, you know, Steve and Aki and all these other people in my life that started pushing me into this, I don't think I would have yeah. done it. And, but I'm so glad I did. You know, I think a big uh, push was when I thought about what am I going to regret when it's over and not having tried something I was really passionate about. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, we're, we're out of time. We went over time. I love this conversation. Um, and I want to end though with the question that we ask all of our podcast guests and, it, and it's, it's good segue um, from where we, where we were just speaking. Um, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience? Even if it's something that we've already talked about today. Um, Obstacles are always going to be there. Um, you just got to keep on finding ways around them, over them, through them. Um, and each time you beat one, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, and it's it's follow your passion. Mm -hmm. uh, you just follow it because it's so important. Right. Well, excellent advice. And what an incredible example you are of that, Chris. Um, before we sign off, can you tell our audience how we can find out more about your work? Oh, um, if you go, my website is www.chrisdonovanfootwear.com. Uh, my last name is D-O-N-O-V-A-N. I'm under the same Chris Donovan Footwear on my Instagram and also on my Facebook. And it's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, correct? Yes. Okay. So ChrisDonovanFootwear.com and also similar Chris Donovan Footwear on Instagram and other social media. Yes. Okay, perfect. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Carol, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. 
For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us. 